Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hi, everyone. How was your Christmas, Jillian? Yeah, my Christmas was really nice. Um, my family and I did not leave the house, so that was a huge accomplishment. We um, we just hung out in their pajamas all day, unwrapped gifts, ate a lot of food. What about you, Quinn? Basically the same, except for on Christmas, we always have Chinese food for Christmas dinner. It's very delicious. Um, So at some point, my parents left to go get the Chinese food. But I think that was the extent of any travels that happened that day. Oh, that sounds amazing. What do you get? Like, what is your personal favorite Chinese food? So I am a pescatarian, as are you. Um, So I don't eat meat, but um, I do on Christmas. So... For my Christmas dinner, I get a poo-poo platter, which is basically just like 12 different kinds of (laughs) fried chicken (laughs) in various ways. (laughs) And it's really good. Amazing. Do you have like a real Christmas dinner with like a roast or something? Um, Yeah, so I also don't eat meat. Um, My family does, but we had my at least my dad and my sister had salmon, um, but my mom like made vegetables for me Um, and it was really low key. But ugh, there were sweet potatoes, and it was amazing. So I was very happy. This is just a brief aside, but you know that John Mulaney bit where he's talking about how if you don't drink and you go to a party, people have no idea what to do with you, and they're like, would you like this old turnip? <laughs> That's how I feel when I'm home and I go to a friend's house, and they have no idea what to feed me for dinner. Oh, that is so real. They're just like, um, we have macaroni does that that's good for you right (laughs) i went over my friend's house and (laughs) um they were like oh jillian like you don't eat meat right and i was like no and they were like okay so we're having chicken for dinner is that okay and i was like uh no but you can have chicken for dinner if you want It was just very awkward. I'm kind of concerned about what that person thinks chicken is. <laughs> I feel like meat, at least at least in my town, I guess, I guess meat is just such a staple of everyone's diet that to them, chicken is basically a vegetable. I mean, I think that's most of the human race, honestly. Meat is pretty standard. So this is our last episode of the year. I say that like it's so dramatic. It's only like our eighth episode, but still, it's the last episode of the year. Ugh, look how much we've grown, Quinn. In the past eight weeks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, objectively speaking, a lot has happened in the last eight weeks. It has been a battle. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's true. It's been, <laughs> it's been a long, a long ride. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are, we are the geniuses who started a podcast immediately before the presidential election. Didn't think that one through at all. But at any rate, since this is our last show of the year, going to keep it pretty light. We've got a few topics today, but then we're mostly just going to be talking about um, New Year's. I think Jillian wants to complain about New Year's Eve, and then we're going to talk about our look back at 2016. Yeah, so this is going to be more of a, um, this is going to be more original content, I guess, and less news reporty, but um, it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun, right, Quinn? Wait, I love the way you put that original content. (laughs) It's the holidays. The research we wanted to do was minimal. (laughs) We do have some stuff to talk about, which is actually incredibly relevant to um, previous week's topics. I feel like we have so many threads going now because we've been talking a lot about um, political divides and political discourse 
which of course is a really important topic in the country today. And this week, Obama had an interview and was talking about how he thought he would have done if he ran for president this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, he actually said that if he ran for a third term, he would beat Trump, Um, which was, I don't know, I mean, I think it was a little ballsy, but yeah, what do you think about that, Quinn? Um, I'm not going to necessarily, I don't necessarily think that he's wrong, because Trump was an extremely disliked candidate, but so was Hillary Clinton, which was the problem. Um, whereas Obama, while um, there is like a very fierce vendetta against him from um, certain parts of the country, like he is a, a popular president. Um, he has a good approval rating. He's won two elections already. So, I mean, I... It's it's like a very hypothetical point to argue since he can't he couldn't have run again. But um, I do think that there that he might have had a better chance if only for lack of baggage and lack of um, such extraordinary targeting and resentment, like on the on the behalf of the media um, for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, definitely. Um... I think if he did run against Trump, it would be a lot closer than it was between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Because, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty common knowledge that um, Trump and Hillary Clinton were like the two least liked candidates on both sides um, that we've had in a while. So Obama definitely would have given Trump a run for his money. It's kind of weird to say that it would be closer, though, because, I mean, Hillary got three million votes more than Trump did. Like... That's not... I mean, as far as the popular vote, but I'm pretty sure, like, Trump needed, what, 270 electoral college votes? And he, like, got not a lot, not like a... He didn't win by a huge margin, to say the least, but um, he definitely got well over the 270 that he needed. But as far as the uh, popular vote was concerned, no, yeah, there was... Hillary definitely um, beat Trump there by a lot. I feel like this is one of those questions that Democrats have been torturing themselves with for the past two months. It seems like ever since the election, there's been this rush to talk about what went wrong and like, how could she have won? Like, what would we have had to do differently to make her win and all of these things? And a lot of people asking like, would Bernie Sanders have won? Like, do we think that he would have done better against Trump? And everyone's arguing, yes, he would, or yes, he wouldn't have. And um, all like, like, Every person out there has their own theory on, like, what could have gone better in this campaign, which, on like, I, it's just kind of a lot. And it's like, when you look, when you compare the two campaigns, um, it's kind of insulting to me to say, to say that, like, Clinton's campaign wasn't run well enough when it was, like, like, objectively a better operation than Trump's campaign. And I understand that, like, that's the analysis you do after you lose, but it seems like it's getting excessive at this point. Yeah, I think um, I actually read an article about Trump's campaign and how it was very, like, obviously it wasn't systematic at all compared to Clinton's campaign. Um, It was pretty much Trump's son-in-law, like, pretty much running everything. And if something didn't work, they would, like, nix it right in the bud and then try this other approach. And it was just very, it was kind of run like a startup, um, how if something if one small thing wasn't going right they could have continued and tried to improve it or they would but they would just completely switch strategies which in the long run i guess worked out for them um but it's interesting how 
the two different strategies like one that's like I when I when you think about Clinton's campaign I mean it was very strategic it was organized like obviously she had a team that knew what they were uh, what they were doing because they were very experienced um as opposed to Trump who I guess with his whole motto of being you know not not involved in government and not and being this outsider like I don't know I just think it was cool how it was not cool but interesting how his campaign um was run like that but it ended up working out and it didn't end up being a disadvantage as everyone thought it would be I feel like this is also one of those things is like it's impossible to say like did he like you can't really say like oh he won because his campaign was run in this way like because this is again (laughs) thousands of think pieces on why Donald Trump won the election um and you can say that it was because of Russian interference you can say it was because of the Comey letter you can say it was because America is racist like you can pick any one or dozens of your favorite chosen reasons um and like i just don't see how we can ever like say for sure that one thing um in any of that like helped or hindered his campaign like but all we have is the result oh yeah like we definitely couldn't say we couldn't really say anything was a make or break especially when we don't know like the exact breakdown and we'll never know the exact breakdown um it's all about timing and i guess how um, everything kind of just came together. I don't even know, but pretty much I'm just saying, oh, well, it's just a bunch of random factors. <laughs> like, who really knows at this point? Honestly. I feel like this this is definitely something that's on Obama's mind, though, because he's, like, talking about how he thinks he would have won the election. And then he said that um, Clinton campaigned too carefully. Like, she felt like she was winning, and so she was too careful. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting... I thought that was an interesting argument to make. Um, I feel like, what does he mean by carefully? Because I feel like she pretty much said whatever she wanted. I mean, does what does carefully imply? Like, I feel like if you're more confident, you would be less careful. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess he just felt like she didn't, she, like, you can look at Hillary's campaign and it was a very standard, like, this is how you run a presidential campaign, you know, because which makes sense. She's like a fixture of the Democratic establishment. And so her campaign was a fixture of the Democratic establishment. And I guess that he looked back on that and said it wasn't innovative enough. And Hillary Clinton has been getting, um, in general, has gotten a lot of backlash about her saying that she's going to bring change, but she has been following sort of Obama's footsteps, um, especially where a lot of her policies are concerned. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess I I, I feel personally just like as a witness to um, like this election that I don't feel like she um, I don't feel like she put change as like the forefront of her campaign. Um, Like she was all talking about like stronger together. um, And it's kind of seemed like about like unity and progress but not necessarily change i feel like that was kind of trump's thing also i think that was sort of obama's thing too was the whole hope and change thing and i think hillary was sort of going more for uh this is a very um these times are very stressful very hard and so i think she was going for the angle of stability more than anything yeah that's a good point and it, it makes sense because i mean she worked in the obama administration very prominently like she Um, was planning on following a lot of his policies like she had some disagreements but um and you would have thought that would have been 
pretty successful considering as stated before that Obama does have a good approval reading but uh that that is obviously not a one for one transfer onto his like anointed successor and also going off what uh Obama said about Clinton campaigning too carefully um i guess in that way maybe he has a point that the fact that he she wasn't extremely innovative um because she is like you said like a very very much a part of uh, the political scene she didn't really need to do anything that drastic to catch attention because um she's always been closely followed in the media um but when he says that that clinton campaign when obama says that clinton campaigned too carefully um i feel like that's sort of debatable just because she did say um not she did have (laughs) she did say some things like she wasn't I don't think she was ever really afraid to hold back from what she was thinking I mean she did call um Trump supporters a basket of deplorables um at like one event and I wouldn't necessarily call that careful um I mean I definitely would call it very effective rhetoric to get her message across um but I don't know. It, she def- she definitely had to sort of uh, go back a little on that statement after she received a lot of backlash for that. Um, but yeah, I just thought that particular statement, at least, was definitely definitely not careful. I guess I just I feel like this is a symptom of the entire th- th- this phenomenon of this entire election, which is that like Hillary is kind of judged on a standard, and I think even like a higher standard of um a person running for president where like everything is scrutinized incredibly carefully whereas trump could say whatever he wanted and as long as he stood up straight people clapped like because i feel like yet was saying that half of trump supporters were in a basket of deplorables a good idea uh clearly not um that did have backlash but i feel like that was like the one mean thing she said the whole campaign and not i mean she said plenty of mean things about trump um but that was really the only, like, really negative comment she made about, like, anyone <laughs> besides him. Um, and even when she was criticizing him, like, she had, she was criticizing him with facts. Um, whereas he would just shout random things, like, say absolutely horrible things, make sweeping generalizations. And I, it just bugs me that, like, like, yes, like, we can criticize like that comment that she made but when taking that as evidence as like not campaigning carefully when you look at her opponent is just it it frustrates me Mm. no yeah that's definitely a good point um when she did criticize trump it was definitely for things that he said things that he did and she definitely had her facts there um i think the only main difference though between what she said because she she relatively had a very clean campaign compared to what like trump was spitting out Um, And so this one comment seems so, like, minuscule in retrospect, but I think it's just because the way that uh, it wasn't necessarily, like, an awful comment, like, compared to what Trump has said in the, what Trump has said about his opponents, but the fact that it addressed a much larger population, I think, was what um, upset people. Because, like you said, she did, she didn't say, first of all, yeah, she didn't say that all Trump supporters were a basket of deplorables, deplorables. She said... Um, half of them were and there are definitely she definitely said that I mean there are undoubtedly awfully racist bigoted people who support Trump but 
when you look at it, she's still technically called 30 plus, um, 30 million or more Americans, a basket of deplorables. Um, and I think that's what sort of really stuck with people. And I think that's stuck with the, um, with the people who were voting. There's, of course, um, I, t- like I took a psych- psychology class and you, we always talk about how you remember, um, you remember like bad things more than you remember good things. And so you remember insults more than you remember compliments. And so, yes, although this was like the one statement that she ever um, really said without having, you know, like a lot of facts to back it up. Um, I think it stuck with people because they felt they were being personally attacked as opposed to when Trump was insulting um, Clinton or insulting other people. He was insulting them individually. He wasn't addressing the population. You know what it kind of feels like to me is that that comment kind of um, gave a lot of people the justification that they felt they need to hate Hillary Clinton. Like, okay, I'm kind of... I'm kind of thinking through this right now, but I feel like for a long time, like decades, uh, there's been a really strong image of Hillary Clinton as a very unlikable woman, um, as this elite figure, as a a liar, um, someone to be held in contempt and all of these things. Um, And people will just like nitpick little things throughout the years to support this idea. and I mean, th- this is not this is not even just talking about like political ideologies and whether you agree with her decisions as Secretary of State and all these things. This is talking about like um, what people think of Hillary Clinton the person. And I feel like when she said that, when she's like called half of Trump supporters deplorable, it gave people the chance to grab onto that and say, "See, she does think I'm stupid. She does think I'm awful. She is." an elite scum um who must be taken out of washington and that and even though she's talked for hours about like stronger together and fighting for the american people and has devoted her life fighting for the american people they that gave people who hated hillary clinton like something to point at and say look how awful this is don't you see that she hates us i hate her too no yeah that's definitely a good point because if people were already on the fence, this was like the extra push that they needed to sort of, like you said, grasp onto something and sort of justify um, voting for Trump because of what Hillary said, even though it was just one comment. But no, yeah, that's definitely an interesting point. Yeah, I really just started thinking about that. So sorry if that was like kind of a messy thought, but... No, that's an interesting point, though, what you were saying about um, Hillary Clinton at saying this makes her even... um, more unlikable as a person and apparently how that seemed that people use this to justify their decision in voting for her i kind of want to know um obviously this is an impossible question to um answer but how much thought goes into if you like them as a person versus if you like their policies and how that sort of goes into your decision making when voting for a candidate Ooh, i feel like I feel like people mostly vote for who they like and then they justify it with policy. I, yeah, I actually agree with that a lot. (laughs) And I think you're more likely to like people who are coming from, like, your political perspective already. Um, So I'm not saying, like, just because you think Obama's a very charismatic guy, if you're a diehard Republican, that you're going to vote for him. But, um, But I do think that, like, people generally like the candidate of their party better and 
that's really why they're voting for them. There's a really wonderful um, scene from Gilmore Girls that people found after the election of Paris um, was running for president of something um, and she had people do polling data for her. This is like in high school and she pulled the highest on she pulled the highest on like um, being able to get the job done and being a good leader and efficient and all these things. And then they were like, well, we also pulled likability and no one likes you. And they all said that likability will affect their vote. And she was like, okay, so wait, so I'm the most qualified candidate and everyone thinks so, but no one's going to vote for me. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's t- yikes. Wow. I mean, I definitely think that's what Hillary Clinton was, like, thinking or at least feeling maybe for a minute after um, the results. Because I think one of the major newspapers did, like, a a side-by-side of their, basically, their resumes. Um, And it was just incredible how much political experience um, Clinton had, like, on her resume or whatever. And it's like, this is you would think that this is sort of just a natural progression, like that she's just going to win the election because she's the most qualified, because she has all of this experience. Um, but I think, I feel like this election definitely, um, definitely showed us that likability with a candidate, even if their policies or what they say um, are pretty much random, that likability really does matter. Yeah. And now we're getting into what I was just criticizing earlier, which is like reflecting on what did and did not win the election. So anyway, um, (laughs) just thinking thoughts. Um, Honestly, what we're saying is, who knows? We're just throwing out stuff and seeing if anything sticks, honestly, at this point. The name of our podcast should just be the shrug emoji. (laughs) So I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, like Quinn, like it's like kind of like the opposite of Quinn. What do you think about that? And it's just like no, yes. <laughs> so another topic that relates to a lot of what we've been talking about recently um, is the whole fake news discussion, which, as we predicted, is still raging heavily. Oh yes. So this week um, we have a new twist on the story. So this is actually interesting because um, it actually kind of directly follows up from some stuff we talked about last episode, which makes me feel special. Because um, we we spent a minute last episode talking about um, what is fake news. How do you define fake? Um, and we were mostly talking about we were talking about stuff that's totally made up, but also stuff that is heavily slanted and biased. Um, and at what point does it become fake? And this is a question that um, lots of people are asking. There have been some uh, conservative hosts and um, voices who have been calling the mainstream media fake news. Um, just things like the New York Times and saying that they have a liberal bias and therefore are fake. And that's the question is like, can you really call something fake if it ha- just has a bias? And at what point does the bias get too much to be untrustworthy? No, before, yeah, um, that's an excellent point. But before I <laughs> address that, I think, Quinn, what you're saying is because we're so relevant, I think high-ranking officials listen to our podcast 
and hear what we have to say and then decide to, oh, let's make this an issue in the world today so they can talk about it more. <laughs> in that case, we should start talking a lot about uh, giving us money. Um, I think I'd like to make that an issue. <laughs> Retweet. Okay, no, yeah, um, definitely. There is such a big difference between fake news or the term that we've been using to describe um, in air quotes, fake news versus news that is biased, that is um, subjective. And I think it's, I think the definition, the split itself is also going to be very subjective. Um, unless, I don't know, you come up with a formula that's like, oh, if this article uses more than like five adjectives, then it's uh, more objective than this article that uses like, or something like that, you know? Um, because really, I think maybe fake fake news we have been just generalizing as a term and I think we need to be more specific in what we call news that we have at least that I've been perceiving as fake as in like to me fake news is um oh yeah Donald Trump won the popular vote like to me that's fake because it's not factually accurate um but I don't know some articles in like the New York Times um, I think will be biased, and I think it would be definitely leaning towards one way. But I wouldn't necessarily call it fake. I would just be, I would just say that, oh, I guess, I mean, it's biased, like whatever. But the facts themselves are, like, once you search through and you find the facts, like, you can't really go against them, you know? I would agree with that. I think that, I think that with any buzzword, like, once a term starts becoming really popular in, like, pop culture lexicon, that other things start getting attached to it um so like this so the idea of fake news which used to mean purely things that are totally made up is now being attributed to things that are biased um where and like that's you can't call and like you said you can't call that fake we already have words for that like we call it biased um and we call it it has a slant but that's not, that doesn't mean that it's made up. Um, and I, I really think this is very, a dangerous, uh, slippery slope here, because if we're going to start delegitimizing, um, any form of news just because you don't agree with it, that is a very dangerous place to go, um, and one that is very difficult to recover from. And I think this sort of just reinforces the fact that it's so careful. I mean, it's so important to carefully go through different sources of news and to read different opinions, but be able to draw the facts and then um, come up with your own views on them. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we've talked about this a lot. Um, you know, we've made our feelings on it pretty clear, but I just, it bothers me so much Um when people use politics as an argument against facts. You know what I mean? Like this idea that, um, like one of the specific people who's who's talked about this, surprise, surprise, is Rush Limbaugh. Um, and he, oh, I mean, he's been a speaker against the mainstream media for years. Um, but so he called, he said that, like, all of these mainstream media places are fake news. They are making stuff up, is what he said. And, uh, no, they're not. Um, like, if it's established, rigorous publication, they're not making stuff up. Um, but he's using, like, he's using his political ideology to push his fans and his listeners away from the 
from facts. No, yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Um, I think that what he's trying to get across is is more like oh like we should still be aware of the mainstream media because some of their stuff is heavily biased and it can some people might be swayed different ways and like we should just be careful about what what we read but of course that doesn't really that's not as (laughs) linguistically effective as they're making everything up um which is not true but i don't know it's just it's all about the rhetoric i guess at this point um uh, what he's saying may not he doesn't necessarily, I feel like he doesn't necessarily mean what he's saying. Like, I honestly don't think that he truly believes that the New York Times is just like pulling articles out of thin air. Um, but I think he's definitely using these broad terms and using them to sort of persuade people to think that, um, to sort of stop listening to these big publications that um, are very biased. But I don't think he should have. <laughs> linguistically i think it was a good idea for him to just say oh yeah the fake news is the everyday news they just make it up because it's very um it catches your attention you know like it's very it's in the vernacular it's um people like to read people like to listen to easy um easily formed sentences things like that like i know i do like if there are two ways to tell me something um i definitely want to go with a simpler explanation i don't think rush thinks that the fake news is the everyday news and that the New York Times is making things up. I think he's just saying that to sort of see how much spark, how much how much of that is going to get publicized and how much people are going to take his word for it um, and to see how effective his words can be um, as opposed to necessarily trying to permeate this belief that the New York Times is literally just sitting at their computers and typing random words, you know? Like, I think he's just... Um, he's trying to say that major news publications are, are, are biased, which is true, but he's doing it in such a way that it seems very manipulative and seems very, um, and doesn't see, doesn't sound right when you listen to it, if that makes sense. Okay. I have a couple of things to say. One, at one point in that you just called him Rush and I've literally always just said Rush Limbaugh together. And I've never thought about the fact that this man's first name is Rush what oh my goodness i hope he like never rushed a fraternity or something because i feel like there would be a lot of confusion there oh and one just like a minor side note is also like we're using the new york times a lot as an example because i do feel like um especially like on the editorial side there is like a liberal bias in the new york times and the readership does skew more liberal but i would not call it like a very biased publication like there definitely are like very liberal publications out there very conservative publications out there that aren't that are still, like, factually correct, even if they are very, well, most of the time factually correct, even if they are very slanted. But the New York Times, I would call, like, pretty, pretty centered, especially especially if you're not looking at the editorials. But we're just using that as um, a strong example, because there is some bias, and it is, like, a very well-known, widely read publication. Anyway, disclaimer. (laughs) Oh, yeah, like, I wasn't saying that the New York Times is, like, oh, so subjective. I was, I, yeah. But yeah, your explanation was good. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to offer my own long-winded disclaimer. Okay. Um, I just think, like, like with, th- with talking like that about um, news publications is one, is, is either wildly irresponsible 
wildly manipulative or both. Um, because I do, I do think you have a really good point with what you're saying that like, he probably does like personally have a more nuanced understanding of what is going on, but he's using, like he's using buzzwords to make a strong point. Like I understand that's what his show is, but I don't have to respect that. <laughs> Yay! Actually, no, I hate New Year's Eve. Um, I think it is the most pointless holiday. It is definitely my least favorite holiday. Um, and I was, <laughs> I was talking this out earlier with Quinn, and I literally said, "Wait, I need to run through all the holidays during the year and make sure that New Year's Eve is my is actually my least favorite one." Um, and yes. It is my least favorite holiday. It even tops Valentine's Day as my least favorite holiday, um, which has to be saying something since I hate Valentine's Day and that is my second least favorite holiday. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts. <laughs> uh, what about you, Quinn? How do you feel about New Year's Eve? You have a very strong opinion about this and I don't really understand why, but we're going to come back to that. Um, I, I don't have a lot of strong feelings about the holiday of New Year's Eve. Um, I think it's a lot more fun for people who are with their friends because I feel like New Year's Eve is very much a friend's holiday or like with your significant other holiday whereas we're still in college and we're just home and like home is fun if my mom listens to this you're fun um but (laughs) but like I spend New Year's Eve with my family and it's really nice but it's just like a night to hang out with my family and then but I I like the turning over of the new year um partially because I have a December birthday, so the new calendar year is also a new year, basically a new year of my life, and it's a new semester coming up um, in 2017, and I, I always just feel like, like, I really do feel that whole fresh start ideology going on for New Year's. Yeah, see, I like, I like the concept of the fresh start, but I don't like it when, pe- I feel like the New Year's Eve is like the perfect, um... It's like a perfect excuse to like start doing something productive, like starting in this year when to me, like if you want to do something productive, like why can't you just do it now? Um, (laughs) Or at least that's like my take on it. But I do definitely like the concept of it being a new year, it being a fresh start, um, being able to sort of like begin again and things like that. But I do think that it has been um, overpopularized and over-exaggerated and I just don't like it. Also, it's a lot of sparkles and I don't know, it's just like too much glitter for me. (laughs) Too much glitter? That's my argument. Jillian, why do you hate New Year's Eve? There's just too much glitter. I love glitter. Oh dear. I don't know. I just, I, and I understand that people are annoying about their New Year's Eve goals or whatever, but like, I like setting New Year's resolutions. I always set um a bunch and I keep going I mean to be fair though one of like my biggest new year's resolution for for 2016 um was to podcast and make videos I um exceeded my goals for this year in all of that and so I feel like I have a rosy view of them right now (laughs) Woo! yay Quinn speaking of that though it's really weird to think about how a year ago I had not started podcasting like I've only been podcasting for 11 months look at you Quinn being all productive says the other co-host of this podcast (laughs) I know but like I feel like see Quinn is one of the few people that actually um stick to their new year's resolutions and are successful 
Um, I stopped making New Year's resolutions like five years ago when I would like make these New Year's resolutions and then I would just not fulfill them and I would just feel so disappointed. Um, so I like to just go into the new year with very low expectations and then by the end of the year it's like, oh hey, I didn't mess up my life too much, I guess. So <laughs> I got that going for me at least. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I also wanted to run a 5k this year and that did not happen even a little bit. Quinn, I will run a 5k with you. Okay, we have to do it. We have to do it this sem- I've been saying this for three semesters now, but this semester, this is the one. We're running a 5k. I mean, I'm not going to train, but I will run a 5k with you. <laughs> oh my god. See, I have to train. I can barely run a mile. Like, <laughs> I gotta do this. See, I, I trained for a half marathon my senior year of high school, and I actually, like, ran the half marathon, and I, like, made de- not great time, obviously, because I'm, I don't run, um, but I, like, did the whole thing in, like, two and a half hours, which is, like, pretty impressive considering <laughs> I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even run a mile when I started training. Um, so, like, ever since that, like, I feel like I just, like, wake up and I'm like, if I want to run five miles, I can do it. Will I be in pain for the next, like, 72, 72 hours? Yes, but I can do it. So, Quinn, I will run a 5K with you as long as we don't have to walk anywhere <laughs> the next 72 hours after. <laughs> All right, sounds like a plan. I just feel like increasingly more like I really have to repair, prepare for um, some kind of disaster, like a zombie apocalypse or something. Like if the Hunger Games happen and I want to be prepared, like I want to have some amount of speed and strength and agility. So I think it like I, I got to uh, step up my fitness game in 2017. Or what about your like camouflage game? I feel like if we're going by strengths, I feel like running would not be my strategy. I feel like camouflage would be. You make some good points. (laughs) Well, we will plan our zombie apocalypse survival off air so no one steals our ideas. But do you want to talk about 2016 a little bit? Yeah, so I just think it's, first of all, I just think it's funny how Americans as a whole disagree on so many different things, but I feel like Everyone agrees that 2016 was an awful year. Um, And to me, that's just like really funny that like so many people from different backgrounds and different political beliefs, everyone objectively thinks that 2016 was a hot mess. I really, I don't know what it was. It was just, it just felt like, it felt like by the time we got halfway through the year, people were starting to go, hey, a lot of things suck. What's up with that? (laughs) So I found this article, which was basically like, oh, like, here are some things that prove that 2016 wasn't as awful as everyone thought it was. Um, and one of them was what something that we talked about, the uh, Standing Rock protesters um, pausing construction on the North Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, another thing was Patagonia. Oh, I love Patagonia, first of all. Donated $10 million in Black Friday sales to charity, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, they're also, like, very eco-friendly, which is really cool. Oh, that is really cool. It's 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 weird to think about 2016. Like some people are like 2016 was the worst year ever. And and I'm not talking about like personal lives. Like if it was the worst year in your personal life, who am I to judge? But like talking about the world. It's weird because like pretty pretty if you look at objective trends, like the world gets better all the time. Like there's so much less disease and poverty and death um than there were even 30 years ago. Like we're we're the human race has made extraordinary progress and we're curing diseases and we're saving lives like i know that everything seems like it sucks and sometimes it does but as a whole 
as a, like the human race, we are always getting better. And that's really cool to think about. On the other hand, Carrie Fisher died and that uh, is, that is awful. Also, like, especially in like this past week, it was George Michael and Carrie Fisher. And I'm not usually a superstitious person, but I don't know, for some reason, I just like, my family would always say, oh, you know, like deaths happen in multiples of threes, like blah, 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 blah. But I believe in that, like strongly. So I'm a little nervous, but um, yeah, sorry, that was sort of tangential to what we were saying. There were there were so many really like beloved celebrities that died this year, um, like cultural icons. And one thing that I saw that I'd actually like in a really weird way actually made me feel a lot better um, was there's this tweet going around that says it's becoming increasingly clear that David Bowie established a better alternate universe and is picking people for it one by one. And I mean, it's just like, I just feel like they're, we're getting to the point where there are so many icons um, because because now the people who are really popular, like in the 60s, 70s, 80s are getting up there in age. Um, and so, and but there are just like as as weird as this sounds like there just weren't as many people to die before um who were that famous but now there are so many of them um and I feel like this is just life from now on which is really sad and I just Carrie Fisher's the one that really got me first of all she was only 60 and I really love her and she was such an icon of um speaking your mind and mental health awareness um, she was a brilliant writer. I, I really love Carrie Fisher. I met her earlier this year, very briefly, and she was interesting and kind. And, um, so her death hit me kind of hard. Yeah. And like, not only was she an incredible actress, like she was literally Princess Leia, but, um, what you were saying about how she was such an advocate for mental health, like people accredit her to getting rid of, or starting to get rid of the mental health stigma. Um, which I think is so important. She spoke so openly about her own struggles um, and like the way that she was still living her life and being her and getting through it and that there's nothing wrong with being mentally ill. It was really powerful. So she will be missed, definitely. So we have 2016. And I mean, we could run through bad things that happened in 2016, but like, you all know, you were there. So... Now we're looking at 2017. What are you thinking, Jillian? What are what are your predictions for the next year? I'm like pretty excited actually, not going to lie. Um I think 2017 is going to be a lot of traveling for me, which I think is really awesome. Um Chris and I are going to Europe over our spring break, so that's exciting. Yeah, we are. So, I'm very excited about that. I'm learning a new language, which should be cool. Well, hopefully, if my petition goes through. But yeah, I feel like uh, I read this quote once, and it was like, you know, some like your book, your life is your book, and like each year is a chapter, and like some years are really bad, but it's all about like character development. And then like some chapters are really good, and that's when like that's when the plot happens. And I, I think that's, I think 2016 was definitely um, a lot of. Well, I do think it, there was a lot of plot development, but I also think there was a lot of character development from the plot and <laughs> the negatives associated with it. Um, but I think 2017, at least for me, is going to be a lot about like personal growth. Um, and yeah. So what about you, Corinne? Do you have any um, New Year's resolutions? Oh, I, I also have a lot of New Year's resolutions, which 
um, will actually be up on my YouTube channel. Self-promo shout-out for the end of the year, my YouTube channel, Aspiring Robot. I did want to reflect on one thing, which I've been thinking about. I was trying to figure out what I was feeling um, after since the election, and at some point I realized what I was thinking about. And because, like, bad things have happened in my life, all right? Like, not... Like, I, I've had a very blessed and lucky life, but, you know, like, bad things happen to everyone, right? But I was thinking about this and how, like, when bad things happen in your personal life, like, things are bad and then they're better, you know? And they're also just, like, about you. Like, sometimes um, they're about your family or about your work or your friends, but, like, generally it's pretty small. And now, after the election that happened, like, it affected me personally and then I started to feel better about it, but, like, nothing actually got better. Like, everything is still terrible. Um, and things will, in fact, continue to get worse um, in 2017 with the Trump presidency. And I feel like that was weird for me to, to wrap my head around for the first time of being this involved and personally invested in a negative event that isn't just about, like, people around me. And I... I, I this may sound like really weird and naive to say, but like this is something I really came into understanding of this year is um, that things don't just get better and that you have, when things are this large, like you have to fight to make them better. And if you don't, like it's not going to. Um, that was kind of meandering. But all this is just to say, I'm excited for my personal life in 2017. I'm also trying to do a lot of traveling. Um, like I think that I'm on like a very positive personal trajectory. And so I'm kind of looking outward at what is going on in the world and how do I want to apply myself out there to make 2017 better for myself personally and for everyone. That's awesome. Oh, it's going to be a good year, Quinn. I feel it. Uh, okay, I'm, this is a positive episode. I'm going to believe you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you at your word and we're going to make it a good year. <laughs> good good you want to call it a year i want to call it a year all right we'll be back next week hopefully there's a small chance we won't but we're gonna do whatever we can because i'm gonna be uh traveling i should hopefully be able to be here for an episode so we will let you know on twitter um if there are obstacles and we end up not being able to put one out you can find us on twitter at mixed feelings fm or at relay.fm slash mixed feelings where you can find our show notes or um, there's a contact form if you want to email us with anything. You can find me on Twitter at aspiringrobotfm. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thank you for podcasting with me, Jillian. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Quinn. Thank you for listening, everybody. I'm Quinn Rose. And I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our mixed feelings.